Hello, divers. Coming to you from Studio D, this is the Deep Dive Microcast. I'm Tom Feeney, raconteur, Mensa reject, and writer for Wings Chop Movie Magazine. This is a companion series of the Deep Dive podcast where myself and my co-host Manda look at the lesser known, maybe obscure, and perhaps forgotten offerings available on streaming media services. The episode this week is of something absurd, a film about which you may not have heard. For many, this podcast may not be of much use, but this one you see is about Dr. Seuss. It's an interesting story, I think you'll agree, called The 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T. Recently, there have been some controversy, along with a lot of overwrought hand-wringing, over several works of legendary children's author and illustrator Theodore Seuss Geisel, or Dr. Seuss. On March 2, 2021, Dr. Seuss Enterprises, which is a part of Random House Children's Books, released a statement on its website. It reads as follows. Today, on Dr. Seuss's birthday, Dr. Seuss Enterprises celebrates reading and also our mission of supporting all children and families with messages of hope, inspiration, inclusion, and friendship. We are committed to action. To that end, Dr. Seuss Enterprises, working with a panel of experts, including educators, reviewed our catalog of titles and made the decision last year to cease publication and licensing of the following titles. And to think that I saw it on Mulberry Street, If I Ran the Zoo, McGilliott's Pool, On Beyond Zebra, Scrambled Egg Super, and The Cat's Quizzer. These books portray people in ways that are hurtful and wrong. Ceasing sales of these books is only part of our commitment and our broader plan to ensure Dr. Seuss Enterprise's catalog represents and supports all communities and families. This action was undertaken by the company itself, not because they were being pressured by any outside group. Yes, in the last several years, Seuss's work has come under more intense scrutiny because of his stereotypical depictions of certain ethnic groups. This is not, however, an example of the so-called cancel culture. A company made a decision to no longer publish certain titles in its catalog. They have not been banned, burned, or otherwise erased from existence. In fact, sales of Dr. Seuss titles surged. A few days after the announcement, the e-commerce juggernaut Amazon announced that 16 of its top 20 bestsellers were Dr. Seuss books. Well, now that we've covered the present, let's go back. The year is 1950. Dr. Seuss is already a well-known figure in children's literature, but he had yet to reach the heights of later works like The Cat in the Hat, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, or Green Eggs and Ham. Now, Dr. Seuss had a new story he wanted to tell, but this one couldn't be adequately told in the pages of a book. It required something a bit more animated. It just so happened that a brand new cartoon studio was looking for just the right project to reflect their unique style and sensibilities. They found it in the tale of an unusual little boy named Gerald McBoingBoing. 
This is the story of Gerald McCloy and the strange thing that happened to that little boy. They say it all started when Gerald was two. That's the age kids start talking, at least most of them do. Well, when he started talking, you know what he said? He didn't talk words. He went, instead. What's that? cried his father, his face turning gray. That's a very odd thing for a young boy to say. And poor Gerald's father rushed to the phone and quick dialed the number of Dr. Malone. Come over fast, the poor father pled. Our boy can't speak words. He goes boing, boing instead. The charming and a little bit heartbreaking story of a little boy who could only speak in sound effects was a triumph for United Productions of America, or UPA. Now, they were an upstart animation house whose abstract use of color, style, and character design was a far cry from the fluid and formal Disney approach. The first theatrical release was Gerald McBoingBoing, and it was an immediate success. In fact, winning the Oscar for Best Animated Short in 1950. Its success also got Dr. Seuss noticed by Hollywood. In 1951, he presented a 1,200-page script to Columbia Pictures for a live-action children's musical that dealt with, well, fascism. The result? was called The 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T. Dr. Tewilker says I gotta practice. Practice makes perfect. Practice makes perfect. Now I want you to practice and practice and practice until you are perfect. Well, that's my problem. Dr. Tewilker is the only enemy I've got. I can't think of one nice thing to say about him. Because there isn't any. Listen to a kid, it gives you nothing but trouble. Go on, get back to yourself. I'm taking you back to Dr. Twilliker. I must have seen you somewhere before. Dr. Twilliker, what's going on around here? Well, I say you don't think I built this great piano just for you. Have you no concept that I am on the eve of my greatest triumph? Tomorrow. Down below me, I will have 500 little boys, 5,000 little fingers, and they'll be mine, all mine, practicing 24 hours a day. In the film, 10-year-old Bart's normally idyllic life is being terrorized by Dr. Tewilliker, a mean dictatorial piano teacher, played by Hans Conried, better known as the voice of Captain Hook, in Disney's animated Peter Pan. During a piano lesson, Bart dozes off and enters a surreal dream world where Dr. Twilliker has enslaved Bart and 499 other kids. And that's the, the 5,000 fingers if you were counting. And this is in order to play a massive, swirling, multi-level keyboard that defies description. But that barely begins to describe the insanity that is this movie. Dr. Seuss's influence is everywhere here, from the costumes to the sets to the musical numbers with lyrics written by Dr. Seuss himself. It's a spectacle on par with The Wizard of Oz. Now, why it hasn't become a beloved classic like Oz is, is a mystery to me. The film is decidedly pro-imagination 
and anti-totalitarian. The evil Dr. T is played like a caricature of Adolf Hitler, complete with his own garishly attired foot soldiers. Now, Dr. T's goal is for the children to conform to his wishes, or else. Now, little Bart has to recruit some help from hardworking plumber Mr. Zabladowski to free his mother and the other 499 kids from Dr. T's enslavement. The movie plays like some kind of fanciful Cold War nightmare with musical numbers and inglorious technicolor. And this is no cheaply made B-movie. The sets are incredible, and the musical numbers are truly something to behold. Alas, it was a bit too dark for audiences at the time. Optimism was what American audiences were looking for. In 1953, the first rock and roll song made the Billboard music charts. Dr. Jonas Salk's polio vaccine was created, and the first issue of Hugh Hefner's Playboy magazine was published. So there wasn't much room for a nearly two-and-a-half-hour whimsical, surrealist musical fantasy about a piano-teaching fascist autocrat. And after a disastrous test screening, new footage had to be shot, and half of the musical numbers were cut from the film entirely before it was released. It didn't help. Sadly, that cut footage is considered lost. The songs, however, survived and are on the 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T's soundtrack album. Now the film is turned up on TV now and again, in its abridged version, but never got the notice or acclaim of other classic musicals, which is a shame. It is a beautifully shot, bizarre, garish, and hallucinogenic experience. 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T was released on Blu-ray DVD in 2016 with a, a pretty decent 2K transfer. You can rent that version for $3.99 on iTunes, Amazon Prime Video, and YouTube. So if you're looking for something that's retro, quaint, and totally bonkers, the 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T is well worth checking out. Thanks for listening. If this is the first time you've heard this podcast, check out our past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss a single one. And we want to hear from you. Drop us a line at the Deep Dive Podcast at gmail.com or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter feeds. You can find links to those on our website, thedeepdivepodcast.com. All clips used in the Deep Dive Microcast are meant for educational purposes only and not to infringe on existing copyrights. The Deep Dive Lounge theme was arranged and performed by Robert Acorn, based on the original composition by Ryan Blaney. The Deep Dive Microcast is a production of Automaton Studios.